Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, Alba the Wildlife Adventure, and Cracklist. This is staying in. And so to answer the question, uh, I got a Steam Deck. Oh yes, the question hung over from the last episode. Yes. So if you're listening to staying in as a box set, yeah, this is not an unusual conversation to have. If you're if you're binging us, yeah. Welcome to hour 180. <laughs> yeah. Um, which of course is the recommended way of of, of ingesting. <laughs> but if you are perhaps taking us at a more leisurely pace, yeah. Then <laughs> what did we say at the end? So Pete, Pete, you got a special new thing or something it's my special new thing that i'm uh i'm very excited about basically so yeah i picked up i picked up a steam deck and they are quite wonderful uh they are really (laughs) really cool bits of kit (laughs) i i just yeah I'm, i'm finding it really fascinating to actually use and 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 it's so i don't know if any of you were doing this back in the day but did you ever play pc games like 15 20 25 years ago were you a pc game player or did you mostly play on console um, other than football yeah. manager yeah i'd probably say no outside of like when i was very young i remember having like um like a container just full of like jam-packed full of floppy disks of like random games like cool spot and james yeah. pond and stuff like that so that that's that's yeah. those those are my that's my knowledge and my experience of the pc gaming world I'm sure that's kind of all of it, yeah? Yep. James Pond and Football Manager. I played uh, Curse of Monkey Island. Perfect. I also had a copy of Grand Theft Auto Mm -hmm. that uh, I've told the story before that I never got really far into because I was so paranoid that my parents would catch me playing Grand Theft Auto that I uninstalled it every after every time I played it so I never got past like the first hour yep. so I'd play it for an hour, uninstall it, then have to reinstall it again so they wouldn't find it. Amazing. You know I should have really just created a folder for it called Homework and then put it in that folder yep. and they yep. would have thought the, the, I was being nice, nice, nice boy um, Well um because you probably didn't play you know you you probably weren't around during the bad years of which there were many on pc uh i think you 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 perhaps won't appreciate to the same extent that i have having a steam deck which is okay everything just kind of works and with pc games that has not historically been my perception of what it's like to be a PC game player. And I think the convenience that Steam Deck offers of, right, there's three tiers of stuff. It's either Steam Deck verified. This is definitely going to work on your Steam Deck and you're going to have a brilliant experience. It's compatible. Yep, it will work, but you might have to do a little bit of finagling just to get things up and running. You know, finagling as in you might have to use an on-screen keyboard or you might have to use a mouse the touchscreen to act as a mouse momentarily or no it's unsupported in which case generally it's not built for this although again if you go and look at on proton db you can go and find yeah. the games that actually do work and you know just haven't been updated uh, properly and and all of that just makes pc gaming so it, it's that final barrier of pain in the arseness that PC gamers had had for such a long time. And I don't think it's quite there anymore, but it's just this thing of like, 
the Steam Deck is one, ultimately one skew of RAM, graphics card, all that sort of stuff. The settings are, there are people saying, okay, well, if you want to tune it for the Steam Deck, these are the settings that you should be using. And the whole thing just kind of works out of the box, meaning that your your Steam library or your potential Steam library, if you've not, you know, um, taken part in like, you know, grabbing lots of humble bundles and game bundles and all that sort of like getting Steam keys and stuff like that. I immediately, as soon as I powered it up, I was like, I have like 1200 games on here. Like th this yeah. is, this is bonkers. And, and there's a bunch of stuff on here that I don't want to play sitting at a desk, but I will totally play sitting on my couch. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, 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 absolutely love my steam deck and i was actually thinking today when i was playing it at work like where it's kind of ranking at the moment in terms of my sort of favorite consoles that i've owned and certainly my and i i'm not really sure where it is at the moment but it's certainly one of my favorite console experiences oh, yeah. of all time like the breadth and depth of games that are available on it and that I've got access to and I can play on the go with little to no fuss at all is incredible. Like, for example, I've been playing Marvel's Midnight Suns, which is a game that came out this year. Well, Steam Deck, no problem. Um, and then playing like Dave the Diver mm -hmm. and Metal Gear Solid Five, The Phantom Pain and Alba, A Big Adventure. And dipping and diving into all these like beautiful and wonderful experiences from like AAA to like really cheap but incredible indie games, mm -hmm. and it just feeling absolutely on ho at home on this console and like especially for a handheld, I don't think there's anything like that console experience of being able to jump from you know, the high end intense graphical and story-based experiences but then being able to also enjoy you know catching fish for your evening sushi restaurant exactly is is just it's, it's just remarkable and yeah it's slightly big like i saw some on twitter the other day or on my favorite reddit community at the moment which is r slash steam deck yep who said who would have thought that the most popular handheld of our time would be bigger than the game gear and <laughs> you know it's it's kind of like i don't know how valve have done it but they've kind of managed to pull it off because i don't know how you felt pete but when i first got the steam deck out of the box i was like oh i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna be taking this out of the house it feels you know it feels like big but but it also feels delicate because it is so big like you know i'm yeah. gonna drop this or i'm gonna bang it up against something it's not like a switch where you feel like you can just throw it around and it'll be absolutely fine yeah it's like it's like the difference, I guess, between like a hardcover book and a paperback. Like the switch is a paperback; you just throw that, shove it in your bag. It doesn't matter. You leave it out in the rain; it'll be fine. Whereas a hardback book, you know, oh, I don't want to break the spine. Don't want to break the spine. You know, yeah. you kind of treat it a little bit, a little bit differently. I so I've I've been using it in different places. Obviously, I don't have a commute anymore, so I've been using it kind of in different places around the home. So I got a Steam Deck dock which is very cool it lets you if you've not heard of this dan it basically it allows you to hook up an hdmi cable to the dock which will charge your device your steam deck itself and it will then hook out to a television much like a switch like a, yeah. a, 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 a switch mm -hmm. dock does and uh so i've been i've been so I've hooked up a, an Xbox controller to it and I've been playing games on on the television and I've been able to take it upstairs, hang, you know, play with it, you know, um, in bed. I've been able to hang out with it on the couch. 
all these different places and lots of different places. Um, but it's versatile. It's supremely versatile across all of these spaces. And I think the thing that I think the thing that people don't appreciate about the deck until you get it, and in fact about gaming on on with Steam until you start properly using Steam is it isn't just the the, the library that you get with with Steam. It isn't just the fact that this, you know, console exclusive isn't really a phrase on PC. It's like, you know, everything's on a console or multiple consoles, but it's also mm-hmm. definitely on PC, right? Like, or it's coming, right? Because it's just, it's not one or the other. It's just you do both. Uh, most studios do both. The thing that really gets me is the ecosystem and how player focused it is. Much, much more so than the other devices that I have in my home. So the Switch, the PlayStation 4, you know, previous consoles, those kinds of things. You know, there's no... the the, the My wish list, which I'm keeping an eye on, all the games that I'm potentially interested in, is a button press away. Like, it's, it's just there, right? There's no faffing around with it. It's really clear mm-hmm. when things are on sale. You get little notifications when things are on sale. It all just works within that. There's all the achievements, all the friends. The whole thing just ties in together really, really, really nicely in a way that I look at... And, and obviously, it's deeply integrated quite deliberately with the store, right? Like, it's there's, there's a reason that they're doing these devices. It's not, it's not out of the goodness of their own hearts because they're like, cool, the first thing you are going to see is the store page because we want you to spend money here. And that is perfectly well, yeah. valid, right? I, I've spent more on Steam probably since I got my Steam Deck than I've ever yeah. spent on Steam. 100%. And yet when I fire up my PlayStation 4, which let's not muck around, you know, that's a device that's been around for a very long time now. I don't think I could tell you how I could reach my wish list on my PlayStation 4. I think I could tell you how I could reach my wish list on, my, on the PlayStation app which I use on my phone, but that is that is not a good experience, right? I don't think I can no. tell you how I could wishlist the games on the PlayStation Store, right? And and again, like this is that seems like basic functionality because it is, and yet it it's still, you know, it it's still not great on PlayStation. It's not ideal on Nintendo Switch, but on deck, it's and on, on Steam in general, it's just like, you know, like I say, it's it's a button press away and it's all there and, and everything is there. The whole ecosystem, super player focused, super player driven, it's really it's really quite something. And to have all of that in the convenient form factor of a console, it's great. Do you think it's because obviously up until kind of the Steam Deck, Steam has been pretty much the kind of store platform it's been a store based platform that you obviously get your your piece game games through so like the they obviously when steam came along i mean i'm not a pc gamer obviously i've used steam in the past i have purchased pc games but i'm not in any way a pc gamer but my feeling is that steam did very much change the game when it when it kind of came through because it it, it it said okay you don't have to go to all these different places or go and buy to the go to the shop and buy a big box full of discs and stuff like that or anything mm. here there and everywhere obviously you could if you want to but there was just this one place you could go to and everything you wanted was going to be there they they kind of dallied a little bit in terms of some of the kind of the the more platform based stuff where i think it was something like like a cinema mode almost where you just like go full screen and yep completely change the kind of the user interface and do you think that because for so long that's been their product their product has been selling you putting everything exactly where you need it to be that when they come to the point of let's put it in a console they've kind of done so much 
dedicated work towards that that it's an easier transfer whereas with obviously not obviously playstation xbox all these things have been around for many many years but they've not their sole focus hasn't been a kind of a store which is what steam has been it's been a console it's been everything else as well i think i think i think partly yeah i think very close to what i feel the reason is that they've done this and and that is because they've not had multiple generations of platforms to deal with they've they've basically said like steam has not remained the same right like it kicked off with i think it was one of the team fortresses like uh you know yeah. one of the half-lives yeah and people really didn't like it to begin with like they were like how dare you this digital gaming what on, what on earth is going on and obviously that's completely changed but from basically that point onwards the thing that has been evolving are the innards of the PCs that people use, but not like, but Steam itself hasn't been like, right, that was Steam 1 and all your games existed on that. This is now Steam 2, and now all of your games exist separately from that Steam 1 platform, right? So, like, I think the reason that they've done this is because they're basically a Formula 1 car, right? Like, they are finely tuned and finely tuned and finely tuned, whereas each time a new platform comes out for PlayStation or Xbox or Nintendo, they have to kind of reinvent the wheel again. And it it, it shows, basically, like, frankly. And I think that, that that power of being essentially one continuous platform, I think that is really showing the, the power now when you go out to these ded- more dedicated devices uh, for, for PC players. I think, I think you get all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it comes with all those additional benefits of, hey, these will still work, all these games. The other great powerful thing that they have, and this is the same thing that makes, you know, a company like Amazon, when they make the Kindle and the Fire tablet such brilliant pieces of kit, a same sort of, you know, a, a market presence who's then gone into the a, a um, software or hardware-esque kind of world, is they have the data. Yep. They've been watching and paying attention to what people actually play on PC and what people actually read and what people actually do on tablets and interact with devices and they've used that to make sure that something like a steam deck is probably has so much cross-market appeal and serves the widest breadth of the audience because they'll because they'll know the data on what people actually play on on pc and it's no accident i don't think that the number one game on steam for like pretty much most of last year was vampire survivors mm-hmm. and steam will know that steam will know that probably the majority of people are not playing you know marvel midnight suns or they're not playing you know call of duty modern warfare for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on their pc they're probably not they're probably playing some 10 pound indie game the majority of the time they know they don't have to make a powerful powerful console because that's not what the majority of the audience is, is playing so that data has probably driven more of the of the steam steam decks genesis than anything else and as a storeholder that's pretty much your most valuable asset okay so i'm not someone who plays kind of portably sure Um, i've never i've just never i've never had an interest really in it i think the only console i ever portable console i thought was the vita and i didn't play that very much but i just i thought i might want want one and i'd got a bit of money and i was feeling flush so i bought myself a, a vita that oh, worked out ooh. well um <laughs> uh, so i'm not someone who kind of has that kind of requirement and i don't sure. play i kind of i've got a, a playstation 5 so i do play console gaming 
very little mobile games. I'll play. I'll play the odd mobile game, mm-hmm. but not really anything like that. Is there anything in this for me? Because yeah, yeah. because that portal thing is going to appeal to me. And I, is there a lot of stuff there that I'm just not going to get access to otherwise if I don't have a Steam Deck? There's some stuff that you won't be able to get access to because they're just things that are never going to get remade or or reported or whatever it is to a modern device, right? So. If you want to go and play Benoit Sokal's Sinking City, Dan... Uh, oh, I, was, I was just going to go get I that. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> you know, then you, if you want to play it on a couch, then you are going to have to play it on Steam in some way, right? Like, you're just not going to get access to it in another way. But I know that that's not really you. I think that the the thing that this opens up to people who perhaps don't want to use it portably or, or, or don't have a need to use it portably is it puts i think i think part of it is convenience right games are cheaper on other on yeah. on on steam like that that's it right like like a huge part of that like if you're on a budget genuinely yeah, me, yeah. i think the best mm-hmm. thing you can do is sign up for a steam account get as many free games as you possibly can because there's always free games r slash free game finds excellent excellent uh subreddit of free steam keys of, of things that are, that are that are available there's things like the epic game store there's things like gog they're always doing giveaways all of those things can work on a steam deck uh, you can get them to work and and with the deck you get a pretty decent gaming pc it's definitely not high end and for people who are part of you know well into their pc gaming like yeah it's not going to touch a, a, a something with a 4080 inside of it or some mad you know some mad setup right like it's just not going to touch those things but it will give you complete access to that to that catalog and it will run basically everything, including modern games at like, you know, okay settings. You won't have to faff around tinkering with anything. And more importantly, and I think this is, I think this should not be underestimated. If you get a deck dock, you are putting a PC into your living room. So the Steam Deck will let you go into desktop mode, which is basically just Linux, right? And Linux has come, again, the bad old days of Linux, not great. Uh, it was fine, but very ropey, not, not, not particularly useful to use. You needed to kind of know your way around it to actually use it. Now, it basically, spoilers, it looks like a Mac. Like when you're using it, it looks like how, uh, it looks like a weird cross between a Windows machine and a Mac OS. Um, it's really easy to use, really friendly. It's got, Steam Deck comes with a bunch of pre-installer things that will basically say, hey, what sort of stuff do you want? You, you type in a search and it will show you, here's everything you can download for, that meets this demand. I've got Zoom, for example, working on my Steam Deck. And it is now set up in my living room. The dock is permanently connected. And a webcam is sat on top of my television and I can just have a video call from the comfort of my couch. I can take a whacking great memory card, chuck it into the device. And if I want, I mean, it's a PC. I can use it to play all my music, all my videos, all my emulated games that I totally don't do. I can use it to, um, I can, you know, it's a PC. Like it, it, it can do everything a PC can do, but it's not a massive bloody great big tower sitting in your living room looking really ugly it's a really lovely little form factor and device that can sit there and like i say you've got access to all this stuff now like it's it's really lovely it's a really really cool experience and it is definitely brings with it the value of being a pc as well as being the value of a, of a console
I've been playing Alba, uh, but not on Steam Deck. Yeah. Uh, you've been playing on Steam Deck, right, Sam? I did play it on the Steam Deck. Mm. And boy, that makes the Steam Deck chug for some weird, bonkers reason. Yeah. Like, you turn on Alba and suddenly the fan's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Punting out, like, <laughs> punting out that beautiful smell from the fans. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's... it's So, uh, it's... I don't know if you've heard of this one, Dan. Uh, I haven't, no. I genuinely don't know what this is. So, um, Monument Valley? Vague. Not played it, but I roughly know what it is. Okay. So, there's a there's a company called Us2, and they are these mobile indie darlings, and they made Monument Valley, Monument Valley 2. Uh, they made a couple of other games as well. They're, weirdly, I don't think they're actually a games outfit. I think they're actually more of an agency, but they've been more into games uh, recently. And Monument Valley, brilliant game. Monument Valley 2, not quite as brilliant game but very very good and Alba is there was their next big one and it was I believe an Apple Arcade exclusive for the longest time it's a photography game kind mm. of and the general plot is that you are a young child uh, and uh, you have a camera and it's your job to phone camera phone I suppose yeah uh, to go uh, go around this island and take photos with your camera and mostly you'll be taking pictures of wildlife but there's also a couple of other bits and pieces where you'll be taking photos of corruption <laughs> and uh, <laughs> criminal activities so so like you kind of missed a little bit out of the story okay what's the so, other part of the story well the, the, the part of the story is you go and visit this island where your grandparents live yep and it's like a beautiful idyllic mediterranean yep. island yep. unspoiled and there's a nature reserve on it and there's been this fire and the town have never restored the nature reserve to its former glory and then whilst you're on the island visiting your grandparents the mayor turns up and he's there with his sunglasses on jumper tied up over his shoulders and he says i just met this lovely chap who's there in a sharp business suit who's going to develop a hotel on the island mm -hmm. and bring loads of tourism and bring loads of money into the island it just so happens the hotel is going to be built on the nature reserve yeah so what you're essentially trying to do in a roundabout way is photograph the breadth and the depth of the ecological ecological life on this island in kind of a not so subtle way to try and stop this development being built yeah it's like captain planet except there's only one of you basically right yeah. it's got this kind of ecological uh, lilt to the whole thing and it, and it's lovely and it's a bit chintzy uh, and it's a bit it's a bit it's a bit indie video game but it it, it works it's an it's a simple setup it's a simple macguffin essentially to give you essentially a camera and to go around taking photos of of nature and to do so in a a, a beautiful landscape like it is it is absolutely really, really yeah, quite stunning. beautiful um, yeah. the visual style of it is kind of flat shaded um, really should not be taxing the deck as much as perhaps it, it does um, but uh, I, I think it's a Unity game and I think U Unity sometimes it can is. be a little bit um, uh, what's the nice way of saying uh, unperformant um, yeah basically it, it can be a, it can be a bit of a memory hog at times poorly optimised poorly optimised yeah there you go also it, it does wear its 
Apple Arcade-ness on its sleeves, I would say. So, for example, the UI... So is this where you've been, you've been playing it on Apple Arcade? No, I've been playing it on PlayStation 4. Okay. Um, so it got, a, it got a proper console PC port after Apple Arcade. It was an Apple Arcade exclusive, basically, and for various boring business deal reasons, basically Apple give you a load of money to, to make a game for their thing, and then afterwards they say, oh, I'll put it on whatever you want afterwards. And that's what seems to be what us two did. So it the UI, for example, is fine but you can tell that the original thinking behind it was you're going to have a touchscreen there's it's not bad by any means it's just it's obvious that that that's where they were coming from with it the gameplay itself as well is definitely in that us two tradition of it looks more complicated than it actually is and when you get into it it's very straightforward um i would say it's even simple kinds of gameplay so you know you don't have to properly frame thing frame images of of the animals particularly so if you're, and I know Dan, this is one of your favourite games, but Hakuna Matata on the PlayStation Three. Uh, if you're what familiar a with that, phrase. we're all familiar with it. Um, Every night school. I play that. Yeah, I know. You're always like, when will they do a remake of Africa? So it's not nearly as complicated as that, right? You do not have to frame things properly. Uh, it's not like you know, it, it, it's a phone camera. You, it's all automatic, right? So you don't have to worry about depth of vision. Uh, sorry, depth of field, ISO. You don't have to worry about like exposure no. times. You don't have to worry about any of that sort of stuff it's just point shoot done and you're filling up a catalogue of animals that exist on this island it's lovely it's it's got that little it's got that dopamine hit of tick 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 of you just filling up this list of animals and the sound design is is wonderful like genuinely brilliant i don't think it doesn't i don't think it gets enough praise for it like no you can go and look at all of the animals in your little birdpedia and press a little button and it will make the sound of the cuckoo or the cow or the goat or whatever it is that particular species how that animal sounds it will be in there and you can wander around the environment not know that there is a specific creature in that area but you'll be able to hear it like you'll be able to hear rock doves and go okay yep cool it's to this mobile game like you know there's something actually here um but it's not so weighty that it's off-putting like you don't have to worry about being a, a, a simulational level photographer right you don't have to be super hot on that kind of side of things and it's quite forgiving in a lot of ways as well of of it points you in the right direction a lot of the time it holds your hand as much as you need it to um yeah it's 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 a lovely little game i'll be honest with you we've been doing this podcast for 180 episodes and we have talked about hundreds of games a Mm -hmm. majority of the time when we talk about Mm -hmm. different videos and stuff i sit there and i think you know what that does sound like a great game i'm never Mm -hmm. gonna play it i don't have the time i don't have the for whatever reason i'm never gonna play it okay Mm -hmm. i think i'm probably going to buy this game and the reason being is i now have a five-year-old and he's starting to enjoy video games and currently it's quite difficult to find video games which suit a five-year-old because the kind of kind of how dexterous they are and their ability kind of hand-eye call all that stuff quite difficult so he's been playing some of the Paw Patrol games which are fantastic for that and teaching the the core basics of kind of how to how to hold a controller how to maneuver kind of on screen um he's been playing a Peppa Pig game which is a bit young for him but again it's fantastic about just introducing those concepts of movement and pressing buttons and i've been trying to like look for things but there's kind of a bit of a jump up 
to yeah. kind of and he's kind of in the middle there so you look at something like mario mario is a simple game but it's yeah. quite taxing to try and get it done and so kind of as you talk about this and as you've done that i've just been having a look at some of the kind of the images and stuff as well so it's absolutely kind of artwork visual style like absolutely in the, in that in that sweet spot by the sounds of it the the the, the, the controls and don't sound too complex so mm-hmm. it should be quite easy to pick up i mean what i tend to use and i've talked about this before is the website taming gaming which is yeah. like a family game video yeah. game database and what's what's one of the best things they do and i've just pulled this actually up here is they give you like a content rating which is obviously your kind of your, your peggy ratings so that's three for alba but it also gives kind of a skill level that they assess like what age is good enough and for this it's given a skill level of five and up as like this we feel that a five-year-old should have enough kind of skill level they might not find it mm-hmm. easy but they should have that skill level to kind of pick that up and be able to play it and obviously my, my little boy he'll play on kind of tablets and stuff like that but he does play with the with the playstation 5 controller and i am kind of for his next birthday looking at getting a switch because there are more options on there for his yeah. kind of games that he will be able to play and obviously mm-hmm. the controllers are a bit smaller so it's a bit easier for him but this sounds like and looks like a really really lovely option for him to play because he's he's kind of rinsed the likes of the Paw patrol and the pepper pig games within an inch of its life he's literally he's nearly platinum them that there's like there's everything he's can possibly yeah. do on it he's, he's done so I'm kind of looking yeah. for something a bit a bit further along this is this is this is gonna absolutely fill that fill that niche and when i say it's simple gameplay it's simple for us right like but it's not yeah because we're big proper gamer boys yeah we're big boys <laughs> Um, but like I, I was playing it with my gunners on Mountain Dew yeah you know Doritos my Doritos drinking um, Prime yeah oh, I only just found out what Prime is and I don't want to live anymore so um, yeah it, it is all of those things you know it's 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 straightforward it's uh, it's it's simple it's um, good looking and it you know will allow you it will allow it isn't super dexterous right? it doesn't require any of that sort of stuff there's you know there's a bunch of stuff in there to you know lots of check boxes it's very straightforward i think the, the thing that i like about it as well is and you know maybe this is something you'd be interested in as well it does have this underlying environmental theme which for somebody like us is like yeah obviously right like <laughs> You know, it, like it's very like preaching to the converted. Uh, it's not particularly complex in the way that it deals with its issues. Uh, you know, there are baddies; they are capitalists, uh, and and that's pretty much about as deep as it goes. But I think that that will actually fly quite well with younger minds because it will it will allow you to provoke. A conversation I think so for example you know I can totally imagine a situation in which you know you go and you find some lovely birds and some lovely you know woodland critters and stuff like that and uh, you know you find a sick squirrel right and and you know they're not like it's not like resident evil it's not like grim sort of you know you know there's <laughs> foaming like at the hot, mouth foaming at the mouth and, and and trying to attack everything it's like little it's like little Alpha sw- takes a yeah drastic turn it's like a little you know swirling I feel a bit poorly uh, uh, symbol and I I think it can start conversations of like oh you rescued that squirrel you gave it some medicine why do you think it was poorly you know like what is it that, and and you can totally see how conversations might come out of that stuff yeah and about the importance of nature and the importance of you know also i, I think that the most difficult subject it broaches is the the balance between between 
the well-being of the society yeah. and the well-being of the nature in which the society resides. Because it's clear that this town needs a bit of a shot in the arm. Oh yeah, like <laughs> like I'd be I'd be pulling my teeth out if I lived on that island. I mean, I I think I found whilst I was playing the game the number one reason why the economy was shot was because for some reason they were printing a newspaper probably once every hour. Yeah, I was like. <laughs> like talk about conservation um but yeah like it's you know that is about as complex as it gets but that is an interesting conversation to have and and it's in the framework of a video game which i think is pretty impressive yeah so yeah i i i really enjoyed my time with it and it was definitely a very like i say palate cleanser definitely for me a i wanted something more substantial i don't think i quite like i'm still on the lookout for a really good photography game like a really good one but i think this is a serviceable one in 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 the a serviceable photography game in the wider context of a very pleasant very enjoyable uh, high, high quality title I, I got a massive nostalgic hit from it and i think one one of the reasons for that was the soundscape for me was very reminiscent of i don't mean i didn't grow up in the mediterranean but for me, spending a lot of summers with my grandparents where I always associate the sound of wood pigeons yeah, yeah, with like summers in England and especially like long when the days are a lot longer in the summer, like being outside in the summer and hearing like, you know, wood pigeons just going at it um, all the time. And that is a sound that's quite dominant in Alba. Yeah. And the other fact of the matter is, is that if you want to, days can literally last forever. Like you can just be out taking photographs of stuff until you decide to go back to your grandparents house and have some, some and have some dinner, dinner yeah. and for me that was another great sort of nostalgic hit for for what it feels like to be at that age where you have that freedom of being able to go out and explore and have the trust of your of your family that you know that you're gonna you know you're, you're gonna be safe and you can take care of yourself but you feel you still feel a little bit naughty going into all these places like there's an abandoned um work site and you feel a little bit like oh i know i know i shouldn't be here but mm. i'm just gonna go these steps and have a look and have a look over the island from this abandoned like house that's not quite been finished building yet or mm. i'm gonna walk into this person's farm because i really need to try and get some shots of shots of a chicken and that yeah that it, it, it had that mass magnificent feeling of being a young child on a summer holiday feeling like the days are gonna last forever um but yet feeling like you're having a very very personal and um, um thrilling adventure Have you guys ever played Boy Slash Girl? Um, is that a board game or is that a video game? It's well, it's, it's what what would you call it? Would you call it a traditional game, a folk game? It is sometimes called oh, it's just town, like a like a, river. a like one that's passed down from generation to generation. Yeah, yeah, town country river sometimes called. What 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 happens in that game? Because it might be one of the things that like everyone has a different name for it. Probably yeah. Um, so Boy Girl is what I used to play, and you write down. Everyone gets a piece of paper and you write boy girl city uh 
hobby, job, word, or like adjective or something like that. And then you pick a letter at random and then as quickly as possible, you've got to find a boy that begins with that letter, a girl that begins with that letter, a city that begins with that letter, and so on and so on and so on. And then you basically get points if you get something correct, but you also get more points if you get something that's unique. Yeah. You ever played that game? Uh, I, I think so. I recognise some of the rules. So I've probably said I've probably played a variant of it in, in, my, yeah. in my youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that we've spoken actually quite recently about like um, card games codifying different like sort of folk games. I know we spoke about um, Ted and Hungry Monkey. Yeah, the Hungry like Hungry Monkey being like the a game that we gave away on our Instagram um, channel. A game that kind of codified a, a sort of a very traditional uh, playing card game. And and Cracklist is a game that in a way blends Uno with a very traditional word game, very traditional sort of family word game. And I have to say, it is, for the moment that you open the box of Cracklist, it is one of the most adorable experiences that you'll have. I'm going to share my screen with you here because I need to show you the image that pops up when you open up when you open up a, uh, the, the, the box of Cracklist. Mm -hmm. When you open up this box, you're greeted by this image. <laughs> okay. Um, this is a picture of... Two lovely individuals, a chap with white hair and glasses, a, mm -hmm. a, a lady with very piercing, striking blue eyes, uh, and then uh, some cards that just say, hello. But don't they look adorable? They do they look do. adorable. They, yeah, they, you, can't, you can't deny that. You can't deny that. So when you open up Cracklist for the first time, this is the image that greets you. And this is Pierre and his daughter, Charlotte. And they designed Cracklist. It turns out that they're, they're, their whole family, well, Pierre is kind of the, 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 the lead sort of designer, but they have a, a track history of taking games that they've always played as a family and turning them into into board games and Cracklist is one of those it's that blending of boy girl or town crunchy river with um, mechanics from uno so what you do is you have all these cards in a deck most of them have got a letter from the alphabet on it you hand them out to everyone who's playing around the table and then someone picks a category from the crack list. So you've got two decks. You've got, you've got one deck, which is all the letters and power cards, and you've got another deck, which is the, the crack list, which has different categories on them. And you pick categories. There's categories on the card that range between easy, medium, and hard. And so you pick a category... And it could be something like types of soup or party food or like, you know, one of the easy ones. And this is why it's a really great game to play with kids is something like something I would like for Christmas. It can be something that's very, very subjective and therefore the answer can never really be incorrect. And you basically go around the, 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 the table once you pick the category putting a card down then saying a thing that matches the letter on your card that matches that category and you have about 20 seconds to complete to complete that to, to pick a letter from your hand and put it down in front of you if it's correct and everyone deems it to be correct you go on to the next next player and it's the first player to lose all their hands of cards now there i always love a game like this where it feels like it really has been born from hours and hours of play with a family and I've played this with a group of people the same age and I've also played it with families 
with uh, age ranges from like 10 up to like 50, 60. And it is such a wonderful experience because it's got just enough flex in the design that means it's challenging for adults, but it's also challenging for kids, but it's not frustrating for either of those groups of people. Where it is frustrating, where you do bash your head against it, it's frustrating for everyone. Everyone shares in that same same feeling of, oh, I just can't think of a thing, I can't think of a thing, I can't think of a thing, and then time runs out, and then it's just like, oh, you know, you all share in that delight, or you all know that someone's making something up, and you're calling that person out and sharing in that experience as, as, a, as a group and as a family. And it also made me feel like, and <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is kind of being quite hyperbolic, but it also kind of made me feel like the feeling that we had when we created What's Better Than a Hot Tub. Well, that's mm. what I was thinking. I was thinking, uh, is it time that we took the next step and uh, we make we make a physical game out of this thing? Because it feel it has that feeling of something very homegrown, like something, you know, I could have made this, like something that you would have played with, you know, your grandparents or you would have played when you were younger and now you're playing when you were older it has that feel of the game that kind of has been passed on to different you've played it at a party yes because someone else played it at a party because someone else played it at a party and it's it's changed and it's evolved throughout all the plays and that's just and then you've done it on scraps of paper and it's just formalizing the whole thing yeah absolutely and it's such a delight to play and the uno mechanics bring in a bit of a extra frisson to it and the, and those are things that are that if you play Uno, that you'll be very familiar with. So instead of playing a card that's got a letter on it, you can play a stop card, which means someone has to skip their go, or you can reverse the direction that the game is going. You can make people pick up additional cards, but that's only if you play a letter, which is deemed not that common or a bit more difficult to find an answer for. So if you if you play like a Z and you're able to say something in a category that starts with a Z, you can make someone around the table pick up three cards for example. So there is a lot more incentive to kind of go for, you know, difficult letters in order to make, you know, other people around the table pick up more cards and and, and not finish. And that's, again, one of those things that comes from it being feeling like such a genuine little family experience because the crack lists themselves, because they're set up in easy, medium and hard, it's very easy when someone plays a cracklist card to then change a category and make it more difficult for the adults around the table or for the adults to make it a bit easier for all the children around the table for that for that round it's really easy for a child to play a card that makes people pick up and then just focus on adults to make them pick up all the cards in turn and to kind of punish them for just being older uh, in a sense which is kind of what happened in in our game but yeah yeah cracklist is is a really really nice set of cards and i think it's one of those unique card experiences that is better when played with a family when played with a group of players of different ages and experiences because that's where the fun really really comes out of it but another good family game um, I've been playing this game called sweet and spicy now chris isn't here but he has informed me that back in january of 2021 over two years ago the same episode we talked about tenant um, we uh, spoke about a game called spicy and, and and spicy is a game which is also is which is a bit like liars uno and spicy was a game i don't know if you guys remember it was where you have 
these this wonderful set of artwork and the idea is again to be the first person to try and get rid of all your cards and what you're doing is you're putting cards face down on a pile and you're saying a number and a spice and that spice in the original spicy was like wasabi chili um, or pepper and the number had to be one higher than the previous number played but you could lie about the number or the spice that you were playing that card on and then everyone else around the table either carries on and starts putting down cards or they call you out and they say that you're lying but they have to say what you're lying about are you lying about the number or you lie about the spice is a number sequential or does the spice match what you're lying about and, and then game game kind of goes on from there and it's, and it's an absolute wonderful little bluffing um card game but heidelberg games have released a family friendly version of spicy called sweet and spicy where they've kind of softened down a bit of the of the artwork so instead of tigers now you play as little fluffy kittens and um the spices um pepper's still there but it's not a chili pepper it's just a it's it's pepper as in the condiment and yep. it's not wasabi anymore it's a lemon hmm. uh, <laughs> and um the other than that the rules are kind of similar the only other thing that they've changed is that everyone basically starts off with a wild card which means that they can put it down at any time say whatever they want and it's completely legal um, with the idea being that younger players have a kind of leg up um within the game and there's, and there's not much to say about it other than that if you if you go back to episode 119 and listen to the wonderful things that we said about spicy everything everything is the same here but the the presentation and the integration of it is just a, um, a bit nicer when it comes to families so what i mean going all the way back to 119 i barely remember what i had for breakfast this morning so i don't actually remember <laughs> that what was it that about kind of the original that wasn't family friendly i think was it kind of lewd pictures of, maybe... of tigers and, and whatnot <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think the artwork wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily scary in any way. It was probably a bit more abstract, probably a bit more how how best to describe it. Where you'd have where sweet and spicy feels a bit more Pixar. The original spicy probably feels a bit more like than if you've seen the film Wolf Walkers, or a bit more like Princess Mononoke. Like it just feels a bit more adult, a bit more edgy in a way, a bit more edgy type thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit. It's 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 got definitely got an edge to it, which I don't necessarily. You know, it's it's not gonna. I don't think it's gonna scare a child or give a child nightmares. <laughs> but if you were to present one game in front of a child and the other, I can probably take a good guess at which one they're going to prefer yeah. in terms of yeah. just looking at it on face value. And then, as I said, the the other thing in terms of the tweaks that they've given the rules, they've just made it a little bit more balanced for a family experience, which I think is kind of one of those things which is kind of precious these days where we don't usually get a board game company which is really thinking about, you know, what can we do to make this a bit more of a nicer entry point to players who are younger or to players who want a bit more of a casual experience like it's kind of a, it, it, i guess the reason i bring it to the podcast is yes it's nice and both games are kind of valid and you'll kind of pick your own one for for kind of what you want to do but it's i also kind of want to celebrate the publisher heidelbear for kind of going in this direction mm. and realizing that you know there there is a value to to, to having something which caters for a different audience but provides a similar experience and doesn't gatekeep people from 
from from that i think i think it's just the same kind of thing as i talked earlier about trying to find video games for kind of that kind of young children understanding mm. that you can't just say oh they'll just play that one they'll just get used to it like having that creating an entry is actually really important yes and creating something that a younger per a younger child can engage with and find it easier to kind of get on board with is really important in terms of their development and in terms of their kind of the ev- evolution of their kind of love of games whether it's board games card games video games whatever it is and I think, as you say, that is a, actually a really important thing. That I think some people would look at it would look at it as like, oh, they just they've just put a slightly cutesier artwork on it and sold it again to make money. I don't think, as you say, I don't think that's what it is. It is a case no. of let's actually see how can we adapt the game to to meet an audience that isn't always particularly well served. Another brief update on the last episode. I'm just having to rejig my Mission Impossible ranking. Nothing's changed at the bottom. That's still Phew. that's still the same. Uh, Mission Impossible Two, dead last. Sorry, John Woo. But now at the top, and I feel like I'm just gonna have to commit to this. I'm gonna have to say that my number three spot is no longer Rogue Nation, but it is now Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. I did actually watch okay. Fallout again because I was gonna go and see Dead Reckoning. I haven't been able to actually, but I was going to go and see it, so I wanted to watch Fallout again. And it is good. It's such a good film. It is good. I'm of the opinion that um, McHugh wouldn't be the director if he said no to Tom Cruise. <laughs> I get the feeling that I've, like he's the director that says yes to Tom Cruise the most. When Tom Cruise comes up with the most ridiculous things he wants to do, every other director with a sensible mind would say no, that's insane. Whereas he kind of goes, yeah, let's do it. I just don't know like how you make a film in the way that Christopher McQuarrie does because he says so for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning part one Mm. Tom Cruise came up to Christopher McQuarrie and went I want to ride a motorbike off a mountain (laughs) and Christopher McQuarrie went I want to crash a train and they were like brilliant we'll just make a story fit (laughs) and that's it like that was that was their starting point and then it was kind of like we'll just make a film around where we eventually want to kind of get to and in terms of like scope and actually attacking a project it's just a a, a crazy way of like it's a very non-traditional way of trying to actually execute a plan right because there's literally nothing to it before those two points they're not really thinking about the story and the characters and the and where they actually need to be they're kind of just like let's just do these things and see where we get and like i've heard interviews with some of the cast members where they literally were asked to film scenes like six times and do different readings of the lines six times so that the the director and tom cruise could find the film in the edit so this is very reminiscent of video game narrative creation (laughs) so so it 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 one of the things that and again it's it's not all video games do this in fact a lot of them don't now but the traditional way that you used to do it is you would say right we've got all these events we've got these backs we've got all this like these these characters and these settings that we want to do these these action points between all of these things build the game layer a story over the top of it to try and make sense of it right yeah um and it sounds like that it sounds like 
that approach to 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 narrative where the focus is perhaps not on storytelling and therefore it takes second fiddle which is fine like i'm totally okay with that as an idea like if you know if what you're going to do is make a movie about doing silly things that totally makes sense right like they didn't come up with a big narrative for jackass because they were like well <laughs> we'll edit this whole thing together and it will tell a story of some kind right it's fine um but yeah that i mean a, a lot of video games take that approach too and i know a lot of writers find that really frustrating because they you know they wanted to be very like fiction first but also ultimately i think a lot of creatives have to kind of think is like your your thing might have story but is story the most important thing about it which i think in cinema is always like is always seen as the default of like yeah it's the most important thing and it's like is it like maybe it's not i think i think this is where kind of the mission impossible films do kind of struggle a bit with their identity because it's it's kind of like in this two hour 10 minute or 15 minute film like it is very much concerned with story and character and you know if they wanted to be all about the the bombast it would just be a 90 minute flick with a bit of story in between and then let's just get to the let's just cut to the chase and actually do the mm. what everyone's come here to to see yeah. so i guess you could say with that approach the the opposite is true whereas where some writers might find it quite a restrictive some might find it quite liberating in terms of right i know where i need to get mm -hmm. how can i make the most compelling tale to actually yeah. get to where i need to be and i think one of the best things that that dead reckoning does really well is actually create a really ominous and compelling villain who is omnipotent who you don't know who they are but yet you're scared of them they can be anywhere and nowhere baby and they can speak through people and <laughs> they can attack anyone at any time and it's it's remarkable how in terms of how this film got made that they actually make a villain so adept and interesting and not seem too bombastic but yet enough to drive the plot forward in a reasonably sensible way so by the time you get to the big stunts at the end you don't feel like like it was a big reach you kind of feel like there was a natural progression to get there like in terms of now as i said my ranking it's not up there only for the fact that boy is it doing a lot of setting up for the sequel it is doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of getting us there for the sequel and chris and i went to go and see it and the feeling that we were left with was and, and a, this is a bit similar to um across the spider-verse is that feeling of what are they holding back yeah. yeah what are they leaving behind and what are they setting up in order to make the make the payoff for the sequel and a bit like across the spider-verse well exactly like this across the spider-verse i got to the end of the two hour plus runtime i didn't want it to end i was just like right i'm ready for the next i'm ready for the sequel right mm. now give me the sequel now i'll watch it like i was i was there like it was breathless and it was exhilarating and, and like seat crunchingly tense at the end but i was just ready for the next hit that the film gives me like it is exceptionally good but my only reservation is that it often felt like from the score upwards like they are really holding back in terms of what they're going to do now for the for the next one mm. 
I think for me, it's the the Macquarie films. Unless I've just watched them, they all kind of flow together. It's less so much with the first three, mainly because you've got three diff- three completely different directors with three completely different visual styles. And then you move on to Chris Macquarie, who again is different, but then he has kind of three all the same. So like, I forget like which film has which cutscene, which um which film has which set piece. I tend to know the differently depending on how long Tom Cruise's hair is. Like, I think <laughs> there's a scene in like a Russian jail, which I think his ghost protocol because that's where he has long hair and i think then it's rogue nation i think he has shorter hair and then yeah that's kind of they all kind of blend together um <laughs> those ones whereas i can i can I, I can kind of point out one two and three not that they're vastly better than that but just purely because like that first one looks very different to number two which is a john woo film and then it's a kind of a more of a high-tech spy thriller in the in the third one and then it moves on to kind of the the, the big action sequences when you got uh, kind of chris mcquarrie on board but that that's that's always my show i like them I'm, I'm a big fan of them but that's they kind of all blend together for me well, that's a good sign isn't it right not necessarily that, shows that they've created a strong cohesive world there's a big difference between a strong cohesive world and and things that all just merge in together. Yeah, I remember like, a group of big set pieces. I don't necessarily yeah. remember how they fit into the overarching story. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't take all of the different kinds of Tenex squash, mix them, mix and match them all together, and say what a compelling uh, uh, cohesive whole. You would go, this tastes awful. <laughs> I don't know. In the wake of Barbie's dominance at the box yeah. office, obviously we're going to have lots more uh, um, films from Mattel. I mean, there's going to be a Barney um, the dinosaur film. Is that Barney the Dinosaur? Hot Barney the Dinosaur <laughs> featuring Daniel Kaluuya. <laughs> uh, you know, incredible Oscar nominated. I mean, the obvious choice. Nominated for an Oscar? Yeah. Obvious choice. Uh, Hot Wheels. <laughs> uh, Rock and Sock and Robots. Oop uno the movie so my question to you guys is what what is the childhood toy that you'd like to be made into a movie brave star what? brave star grave star brave b-r-a-v-e brave star Brave. right let's let's go let's have a look at this brave star uh american so not a toy an animated series oh it was so it was during that beautiful beautiful era where we watched adverts as children masquerading as entertainment. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Go on. Uh, so yes, it was a uh, it was a space western <laughs> animation that was you know Saturday morning cartoon sort of thing. But really, it was a uh, it was about selling action figures. And actually, funnily enough, Mattel owns it. Um, it basically had I think it was on like Mars or something or some planet, and basically. Uh, it was the planet was called New Texas, and yeah. yeah, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for it now. And basically, it was it was like w- Wild West stories, except aliens. Okay, so New Texas, a planetary system orbiting three suns. Much of the food and water supply is imported. I mean, the detail that this Wikipedia article is going into for a children's cartoon yeah. is. Incredible. Well, the majority of the land is desert or prairie, but there is one wetland area which is the home of ape cats. Yep. So he had a horse called Thirty Thirty, uh, which was a <laughs> like he was like sentient, but he still rode on it. Yeah. He got still got ridden around on. His chief deputy. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so he's his deputy, but also a horse that he rides. He rides on, and has a weapon. Has a weapon called Sarah Jane. Yeah, and it it was like filled with like cool phrases and words and like neat things in there. That as a kid, I was like, wow, that's really cool. And the toys were like a bit plasticky and gross and grim, but it was also like they were also really fun. Like one of the characters had this like whip that was made of this horrible sticky stuff that probably gave us all uh, terrible things that will only come out in our 80s and 90s but like honestly like it was it was great and there were like there were lots of um like bank robberies and like it was fun it was it was like you know great it was like a pulpy western kind of a thing but in space it was amazing i think mine is another mattel one and it'd be dino riders dino riders i don't think i ever had dino riders do you guys not I don't know that one. Do you never remember Dino? Let me let me just quickly have a look Dino and just Riders. double check. No, yep, I just yep, I remember this one. Yep, yep, yep. top quality. So Dino, so <laughs> Dino yep. Riders was if now I'm gonna I'm not gonna look at Wikipedia okay. for this. So if so, I don't know if someone wants to double check my yeah. If someone wants to double check my memory, mm-hmm. it, I think it was something like a group of scientists or something like that get sent back in time. And their response to that is to then just strap lots of lasers to dinosaurs <laughs> and have lots of fights Excellent. with them. So all these poor dinosaurs just have like massive, like sort of <laughs> just big munitions factories strapped to their backs and people like riding them. It was it was a it was a crazy series and the toys are excellent. But yeah, it was really that that, that I can see that movie being made. Oh yeah. See, I. I was trying to think, did I have any toys that weren't kind of TV shows or something like that? And I think most of the toys that I had did come from TV shows. So I think the one I go for is Bucky O'Hare. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which, if I remember rightly, like, I think they only made like 10 or so episodes, something like that. So they made very, very few episodes. But I, I distinctly remember like years, like years later, going back and seeing some of it and realizing it's one of those things where like, it's actually quite adult in terms of like it's not meant to be it's for kids but what they're actually talking about like oh no you're talking about drugs you're 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 absolutely talking about, like i think there's like an episode where like the robot has like has been drugged or something and he's like oh he's smacked off his cranium and you're like oh okay <laughs> oh. There's, there's a very thin veil of, <laughs> of disguise to this yeah 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 um it started off life uh, bucky o'hare as a comic book series um yeah. so kind of like uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles like the ones that I love are from the animated TV series, but like the the original comics are actually quite dark and brutal in in some ways. I think Bucky O'Hare was part of that big thing during the seventies and early eighties. Um, I think yeah, I think like, there was a lot of kind of comic book to there. There was like biker mics from Mars and stuff like that as well. That was always, that was like a, more of a, a longer running thing. Yeah. Um, than than okay. I, 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 from Mars. I assumed it had kind of gone Tourism. longer, but it, I think it was really really short run. Yeah. If someone wouldn't mind making King Arthur and the Knights of Justice into a uh, into a movie, oh, that would god. be my childhood. Oh my god! <laughs> if you've got an idea for something from your childhood that you'd like to yeah. be turned into a, a cash cow for a rich white man, then please <laughs> uh, send us an email. Um, <laughs> uh, staying in pod at gmail.com. Um, or you can talk you right witch men um, you can let us know on X <laughs> <laughs> whatever on earth it's oh. called these days at staying in pod 
at Staying In Pod on Instagram and uh, Facebook as well. They've just put up their prices, but if you're still on Spotify, then you can hear some of our curated uh, pages where we've put together soundtracks. We'll see if we can get Chris to put some of the theme tunes to some of the TV shows we just talked about. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh you need yes. to put Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars on there, for goodness. What, a, what an absolutely Come slamming Chris. tune. Hopefully he'll put something on uh, from Alba as well because that that, yeah, that soundtrack, soundtrack is absolutely that's a that's a banger. So if if you want some accompaniment to your life, then we've got three different soundtracks that we put together, all taking inspiration from the games and the movies that, that, that we talk about, and they're all available on Spotify. It's a nuisance to get to. The best place to do is just to follow the links through our show notes. Talking about curation, we've talked a lot about Steam. So if you're on the Steam store, if you're lucky enough to have a Steam Deck, uh, then why not check out our page, our curation yes. page on Steam, where we list all the video games to talk about, links back to the episodes that we talked about them. So if you're looking for something new to try out, it's a great place to explore. And we have the same sort of thing on BGG, which is Board Game Geek, um, which is the same thing as the Steam curation pages, but board game. And that's it. All right, then. All right, then.